Well, I want to invite you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning. If you don't have a copy, there should be some around you. You can follow along with us on the screen as well this morning as we look at a message from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 22, and a message on this Easter resurrection morning entitled Resurrection Hope. I don't know about you, but have you ever had high hopes for something only to have your hopes and your dreams absolutely crushed? I think all of us have experienced this at some point in our lives. I experienced this for the first time that I remember in fifth grade. Our teacher came in one day and she said, class As a fifth grader, you have the opportunity to run for school president. My last name is Kennedy. And I thought, here I stand, right? This is my moment. So I put in my application to run and prepared. I talked to all of my friends. Of course, all of them told me they were going to vote for me. We were ready to go. And then... I had a challenger that entered the race, and I thought, I've got this. Last name's Kennedy. We win. It's perfect. And yet, I arrive at school the day before the election, and out in front is my opposing candidate and her cadre of friends with blow pops passing them out to all the students as they walked in with a tag on the blow pop that said, don't blow it, vote Laura Fink for school president. I remember her name, church, I remember. And I went home that day absolutely devastated and we gathered around campaign headquarters, the dining room table at my house, told my mom, I said, listen, we got to do something. Here's my thought. Fink stinks. Vote Michael Kennedy. No. She said, you can't do that, son. She said, here's the deal. You just need to prepare yourself that you're probably going to lose. Next day came the election And I wish I could say it was a close race. It was an absolute landslide in her favor. And in that moment, my hopes and dreams for being the school president were crushed. You know, hope is an interesting thing. Hope matters. And on this Resurrection Sunday... For every follower of Jesus who is gathered here today, you and I have resurrection hope. I want us to look at the text this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in verse 12. I want to read the text for us, and then we'll walk back through it together as we consider Paul's encouragement, Paul's reminder for us that we have resurrection hope. This is God's word. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? 
But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you open our eyes that we would be able to see? Would you open our ears that we would be able to hear? And would you open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. As we look at this text this morning, this is the main idea that will frame our time together. If you leave with nothing more this morning, leave with this truth that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the only hope we have for an abundant life today and eternal life in the future. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, not as one hope, but it is the only hope that we have for an abundant life today and eternal life in the future. In fact, as we dive in, beginning in verse 12, I want you to notice that Paul is going to lay out for the believers who are reading this, who are hearing this as it is being read, this problem that had infiltrated within this group of believers. The problem was that some were trying to segregate the spiritual from the physical. They were trying to say there's no real positive thing. It was very much in vogue in Greek thought at this point that the physical body just needed to be done away with and the spiritual was all that mattered. And so they said, listen, you don't have to worry about what may happen later Because the reality is there is no resurrection for the believer. And I want you to notice that Paul is going to highlight that problem beginning in verse 12. In fact, notice what he says. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Notice that their problem was not in Christ's resurrection. Their problem was in every other believer saying to the believer that there is no hope after this life. 
you draw your last breath and that is it. The problem is, that's not the promise that Christ has made to us. Because if you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, this life is not all that there is. In fact, our hope is not only in abundant life with Christ today, but in the future hope of eternity with him forever. I want you to notice that Paul is about to do something over the next few verses that I think is very emblematic of the way Paul treats questions. He treats problems. He is going to pick it absolutely apart. Have you ever had a problem that the more you dove into it, the bigger you realized it was? We got home not long ago, a couple of years back from vacation, and we walk in the door, and I walk over to where the refrigerator is, and I notice that coming from underneath the cabinet beside the refrigerator is a little bit of water. And I thought, huh, it's probably not good. We have a problem. So what did I do? Went and got a towel. Dried it up. Here's the funny thing. The water came back. Thought, huh. Got the towel. Dried it up again. Guess what? Came back. Thought, well, we've got a problem here. So I pulled the refrigerator out and I realized that the water line connecting to the refrigerator had been leaking. And I pressed my finger into the sheetrock immediately behind the refrigerator, and it absolutely collapsed. I thought, this is not good. I'm not the brightest bulb, but I knew that wasn't good. I started thinking, well, I need to cut this sheetrock out, and I need to figure out how much water damage we actually have. So I did that. I cut it out, and then I realized that the water had actually traveled a little bit further. It had traveled into the cabinets. The cabinets were warped a little bit. I thought, that's not good. I said, let me pull the cabinets and let's figure this thing out. And I thought, I've got it. It's all right here. It's contained. Until the next day when my wife opened the coat closet that's right beside that cabinet in the hallway, she opens it up and she pulls the basket out and there's mold on the back of the basket. I thought, huh, that's not good. That problem just got bigger. And then I realized that the water had traveled even further. And by the time it was all said and done, we had cut out more sheetrock and pulled more baseboards than I cared to talk about. The problem grew and grew and grew. Some of you right now have had water damage and you are trembling inside in this moment. But I want you to notice that this problem that Paul identifies, he's going to say for us that if the resurrection is not true, here are all of the problems that it creates moving forward. Notice the first one in verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead listen, then not even Christ has been raised. If there's a question about whether we in Christ will be raised one day to meet him, he says, if that is not true, then go back to the beginning. Christ has not been raised. Notice he continues in verse 14. 
And if Christ has not been raised, Paul says, our preaching is in vain. In fact, Paul says, my entire life has been a waste because I've been preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ that proclaims his resurrection and our resurrection in him. He says, if it's not true, and my preaching is in vain, but not only that, notice he continues in the second part of verse 14, and your faith is in vain. Your faith is pointless if the resurrection is not true. In fact, he doesn't stop there. He continues in verse 15. He says, we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. Not only does he say, if the resurrection's not true, Christ has not been raised, and our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain, but he says, listen, we've been preaching, claiming that God raised Christ from the dead, so we're actually misrepresenting God. And then he says, in verse 16, again, if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised In verse 17, if Christ has not been raised to the believer, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ has not been raised, we are still in our sin. In verse 18, he continues then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who were believers that have died, he says, have absolutely no hope if the resurrection is not true. And then in verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, notice what Paul says, we are of all people most to be pitied. I want you to hear me this morning, church. If the resurrection hope that we have is not true, there is absolutely no reason for us to be here today. Now, there are some who would actually say that, that it's not true. And for us as followers of Jesus, we should, as Paul says here, be pitied in verse 19. Because the deal is, if it's not true, we are absolutely wasting our time this morning. However, I want you to notice in verse 20, Paul is going to lay out the promise for us. He says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. He says, The first fruits, meaning the first one, 
of those who have fallen asleep. The promise is that for every follower of Jesus Christ who draws their last breath and dies in this life, this is not the end, Paul says, because Christ has been raised from the dead. You know, though, a promise is only as good as the one who makes the promise. Is there proof? The lingo today, if Paul had a microphone in his hand, these next three verses would be a mic drop moment for him. Paul is going to say, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, and I have the receipts to prove it. Go back to verse 1 of chapter 15, just prior to what we've been reading in the text. Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel, that is the good news that I preach to you which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered, Paul says, to you as of first importance what I also received. Listen to what he says. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And where are the receipts? Notice in verse 5. And then he appeared to Cephas, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles. In verse 8, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. In fact, as you look at what Paul declares here, that he had seen on the Damascus road the risen Christ, and that he went from persecuting Christians to becoming a follower of Jesus because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Christ has been raised from the dead. Well, what does that mean for us? You know, there's two groups of people gathered this morning. There are those who have come in today who do not yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never taken that step of trusting solely in Him for your salvation. His life, His death, His resurrection. 
depending solely on him for the forgiveness of your sins, to be made right with your heavenly father. And I want you to know that what we are about to discover in the hope that we have as a result of Jesus Christ's resurrection can be yours today. And then there are those within this room who are followers of Jesus. You've taken that step of trusting him. You've experienced salvation. And I want you to know that these two sources of hope is the hope this morning that you have. Resurrection hope. Notice in verse 21 and in verse 22, the description on the basis of the truth that Christ has been raised from the dead. Paul continues and says, For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. Verse 22, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all die be made alive. You see, the reality for us this morning is that every single human being, a descendant of Adam described here, has the same problem. It is a sin problem. Sin brings death. Sin brings separation from God for all eternity unless there is a Savior. And as we just read, His name is Jesus Christ. And through his life, death, and resurrection, he makes it possible for every single person who trusts in him alone for salvation to have their sins forgiven and to be brought into right relationship with their creator. So the first truth is that Jesus Christ's resurrection provides hope for today. Jesus Christ's resurrection provides hope for today. In fact, I want you to listen to the description that if you are a follower of Jesus, this is what is true about you. You were dead in your sins, and now you've been forgiven and made alive in Christ. That is hope. You are deserving of God's wrath, but you have become objects of his lavish grace in Christ. That is hope. You are enemies of God. But because of Christ, you have been adopted into the family of God, and he calls you his child. That is hope. You went from being without hope in this world to being filled with peace that surpasses all understanding because of the Prince of Peace, your Savior, Jesus Christ. That is hope. That is who you are. That is why for us as followers of Jesus, this Resurrection Sunday and every single day since Christ's resurrection is a day of hope for us. But it's not just hope for today. I want you to notice the second truth. Jesus Christ's resurrection provides hope for 
eternity. The remaining verses in this chapter highlight not just what Christ has done for us and what that means for today, but what that means for our future as well. You see, the resurrection of Jesus Christ reminds us that Jesus has conquered both sin and death. In fact, for every single believer, death is not the end, and evil does not win. That is glorious hope for us. And not only has Jesus conquered sin and death, but Paul lays out for us in those remaining verses that Jesus also rules and reigns for all eternity. And if you're a follower of Jesus today, you will join him to rule and reign for all eternity. That is the hope that the resurrection brings for us. If you're here this morning, you've never taken the step of trusting Jesus Christ as your Savior. I want you to know today that this same hope is available for you if you will take that step of trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning as our worship team makes their way back up. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you just very simply, which group of the two that I mentioned do you find yourself in this morning? You sit here today never having taken the step of trusting in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. I want you to know that God's word is crystal clear that apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, there truly is no hope for you. And that's not meant to scare you or frustrate you. That's meant to point you to the greatest hope that can be found, and that is in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you let today be the day of salvation in your life? where you trust solely in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Our pastors will be down front as we sing. Just simply encourage you, if that's the step that you need to take, to walk down and grab one of our hands and say, I need to know Jesus as my Savior. Maybe you'd like to fill out a connection card and drop that off at the welcome desk and just ask to speak with a pastor. We'd love to get in touch with you this week. But if you are in the second group this morning, a follower of Jesus, having trusted in him for your salvation, leave this morning filled with resurrection hope. Hope for today, hope for tomorrow, hope for every single day that you draw breath on this planet and hope for the future that is secure in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Would you challenge us and encourage us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us as we sing.
Our altar is open. Our pastors are down front. You respond as the Lord leads.